The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, so let's carry on. And uh, we have been looking at in uh, quite a bit of detail uh, how to deal with uh, the defilements of the mind. Yeah, this is what this uh, previous sutta has been about, the Dveda uh, Vitaka uh, Sutta, the two kinds of thought. And uh, it's always nice to get down, really down to the nitty-gritty, how to actually do these things. Uh, one thing is to have like a, a theoretical understanding of what is going on, uh, but it's good to be super-duper practical. The more practical we are, the more kind of get down to the kind of bits and pieces, uh, the more useful the information can be. Uh, and sometimes the Buddha's information is very kind of a bit standoffish, it's a bit from a distance, it gives you a general outlook. Uh, he doesn't always give you all the details how to do things. Uh, but this is one of those suttas that gives you a large amount of detail on how to deal with the defilements. It's the uh, getting rid of resentment sutta, which I read out on every single retreat. Uh, some of you will have heard it many times before. Imagine how many times I have heard this particular sutta. <laughs> I don't know how many retreats I do in a year. It's quite a lot. So, but uh, I enjoy it pretty much every time because I realize how important it is. And uh, the Buddha says in the sutta, as he talks about ill will, uh, he talks about the various defilements of the mind. And I mentioned to you before that uh, the defilement that is by far the worst one, according to the Buddha, is ill will, uh, yeah? anger, resentment, uh, irritation, these things. And why? Well, because he said it's very blameworthy. Uh, you make a lot of bad karma uh, through this particular defilement. Uh, yeah, it is very kind of destructive defilement. Uh, and it's bad for you, it's bad for others, it's just bad all the way around. Uh, and uh, the good news about this defilement is that it is bad, but it is relatively easy to do something about. Yeah, a little bit of change of attitude, a slightly just alternative look at other people, at uh, reality, uh, and you can actually train your mind. Uh, I mean, it takes dedication, it takes effort, uh, it takes uh, perseverance, uh, but uh, you can train your mind to uh, look at things in a different way, to see people in a new light. Uh, that's the good news. Uh, yeah. So the bad news is, is that it's bad results, but the good news is that it can be done fairly easily to uh, change uh, one's outlook and attitude, etc. So for that reason, I'd like to read it out in every retreat because it is so practical and so important for most people. Most people have more ill will than they want. Yeah, it's rare to find someone who who has too little ill will. That's very, <laughs> or, <laughs> or you know, it's, it's it almost had to be an arahant not to have any ill will whatsoever. Yeah. So. Um, this is getting rid of uh, uh, resentment. This is the name of the sutta. And this translation is also from uh, uh, Bhante Sujato. And uh, as usual, I'm sure I will disagree with some of his translations because it's, that's just the way things are. You, you never see 100% eye to eye, but that's, that's okay. So this sutta is spoken by Venerable uh, Sariputta, the Buddha's uh, right-hand monk. There's no Sariputta in here, okay. So if you have ever have Venerable Sariputta on a shrine, you should always put him on the right side of the Buddha. Yeah, that's the right position. Yeah. You know how to recognize Venerable Sariputta? Yeah. yeah. 
You, you do? Yeah, he's a bit different from... Usually you have two main disciples. Yeah? You have the Mahamogalana and then you have Sariputta. And they usually have a slightly different posture. Yeah? And most of the disciples of the Buddha, they have their hands in Anjali, yeah? except one, Sarvenabha Sariputta. He does not have his hands in Anjali. He often sits like this. So, yeah? <laughs> almost as if he is a bit, you know, I, you know, I know what I'm talking about almost. <laughs> And of course he did, yeah, that's the th interesting thing. The Buddha was praised when it was Sariputta for being the one who should carry on rolling the wheel of the Dhamma if the Buddha was not available. Yeah. So the one who sits like this, he should always be on the right-hand side of the Buddha, and the one who has the hands in Anjali should be on the left-hand side. Yeah. These are the kind of details of shrine placement, in case you, in case you wondered about that. Yeah. So let's see what he has to say. The, there, the Venerable Sariputta addressed the mendicants. Reverends, the mendicants. Reverend, they replied. Sounds very formal, doesn't it? <laughs> Sariputta said this. Reverends, a mendicant should use these five methods to completely get rid of resentment when it has arisen towards anyone. What five? In the case of a person whose behavior by way of body is impure, but whose behavior by way of speech is pure, you should get rid of resentment for that kind of person. In the case of a person whose behavior by way of speech is impure, but whose behavior by body is pure, you should get rid of resentment for that kind of person. In the case of a person whose behavior by way of body and speech are impure, but who gets an openness and clarity of the heart or of the mind from time to time, you should get rid of resentment for that kind of person. In the case of a person whose behavior by, by body and speech are impure, and who does not get an openness of the clarity of the heart or the mind from time to time, you should get rid of resentment for that kind of person. And in the case of a person whose behavior by body and speech is pure and who gets an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time, you should get rid of resentment for that kind of person. So five kind of people. And... Uh, and there is no person that is not included in these five kinds. Everyone is there, which means that uh, you should not really have resentment towards anyone, yeah? ill will towards anyone. No one is excluded. Even your favorite enemy is not excluded from this list. Uh, it's not a good idea for a Buddhist to have any enemies anyway. Yeah, It's good to have be friendly with everyone, to have a positive view of everyone, to have a sense of compassion for everyone. That is really the right Buddhist attitude anyway. We can't afford to have enemies in this world. We can't afford to have ill will against anyone. We have to get rid of that as soon as possible because it is such a massive hindrance on the path. And don't worry what other people think about you. It's irrelevant. Maybe there are people who don't like you, so what? Yeah, how foolish they are not to like you. You're all really wonderful people here. Yeah, people who keep the eight precepts, etc. What a wonderful thing that is. So it doesn't matter what other people think about you. And this is one of those things to kind of overcome that kind of concern. But from our point of view, we cannot really afford to have enemies in this world. Why? For our own benefit, if not for anyone else's. 
So this is the good news, is that this summary shows you it is possible uh, not to have resentment towards anyone. Yeah, This is what this really says. Uh, and then uh, it gives you the method. That's just the summary. Uh, the introduction in brief. Uh, and then comes the five methods how to do this. Uh, how should you get rid of resentment uh, for a person whose behavior by body is impure? but whose behavior by speech is pure. So this, yeah, okay, let's just read it first of all, the whole thing. Suppose a mendicant wearing rag robes sees a rag by the side of the road. They would hold it down with the left foot, spread it out with the right foot, tear out what was intact and take it away with them. In the same way, at that time, you should ignore the person's impure behavior by body and focus on their pure behavior by speech. That is how to get rid of resentment for that person. Very simple. So simple. Yeah, and as if there is a... But this is like a secret for most people. They don't get this. This is kind of beyond most people's understanding of the world. But that is how simple it is. So um, the idea here, it starts off by saying that uh, someone has a behavior by body which is impure, but speech is pure. The idea is that as complicated beings, uh, there will be part of us, aspects of us that are impure, and there will be other aspects that are pure. And very often we can choose yeah, what to focus on, what matters uh, in our mind at the moment. Uh, so we have it like there's a range of characteristics in people. I don't think it matters here too much, the division between speech and bodily behavior. I don't think that's kind of really the issue. The issue is just to show that we are, uh, we have different uh, characteristics, yeah? some good and some bad. Uh, most people are like that. There are some people who are super duper pure all the way through, but they are, you know, not that rare actually. In Buddhist circles, you have, have a few of those, but in a uh, you know, in general, in the population, they are quite rare here. So um, this is the idea here. And a beautiful simile to show how this works. Yeah, uh, You have a mendicant uh, wearing rag robes. Uh, yeah, These robes that are sewn together by all kinds of rags that you find here and there. And then you see a rag by the side of the robe, the road. So you think, yay, a rag. <laughs> it's only mendicants who wear rag robes who become so happy for rags. But uh, anyway, and uh, there are monks in the present day who wear rag robes. I mentioned to you the other day that I used to have a pretty, basically a rag robe. And Ajahn Nisarno can vouch for that because he, uh, he knew me at, the, <laughs> at that time. <laughs> And um, I was really attached to that rag robe. Some monks said, oh, you should get another robe. There was no way I was going to give up that rag robe. <laughs> took me a long time to detach myself from this, this rag robe. So anyway, that's not, that was not a good idea, perhaps. So you, uh, you, are, you, you, are, you have a rag robe, and then you find a rag. Yeah? And of course, what you do with that rag is a rag is going to be partly rotten, partly okay. Sometimes the rags are find on, found on corpses in the charnel ground. So you take the rag, and then you take, tear off the bad part, and then you take with you the good part. Yeah? And then when the time comes, you sew it into your robe. And uh, the idea here with uh, 
this practice is similar kind of thing. It's like you take, you know, you spread out the rag. You kind of almost like you spread out the qualities of the person in your mind's eye. You see all the qualities. Maybe you even write them down as an exercise if you wish. Put all the bad qualities over here, all the good ones over here. And then when you have done that, you tear off the bad qualities. Yeah, you chuck them out. You flush them down the toilet or whatever you want. And just to get rid of them. Why? Because it's rubbish. Just like the bad part of the rag is rubbish to you in the same way. The bad qualities of that person, for the purposes of the spiritual practice, they are rubbish. So you throw them out. That's kind of the whole point here. Yeah, so that's what you, that's what you do. And uh, it's a kind of be- very so simple and yet so beautiful. How do we do this in practice? And the way to do this in practice is to learn to look at people and to see, learn precisely to see all the qualities. Uh, yeah, and this doesn't take all that much effort uh, to see the good qualities in people. Uh, when you are in a Buddhist group like this, uh, people keeping the five precepts, the eight precepts, people coming to meditate, people being very generous and kind, uh, and I've known many of you for a long, long time, uh, and it's so easy to see the at least the good intentions, yeah. Often much more than good intentions. Often really good actions as well. Eh? It's so easy to see that. Eh? But even if someone only has good intentions, eh, that is already very praiseworthy eh? and very is marvelous. Yeah, at least someone wants wants to live life well. They want to do the right thing. Wow, what a wonderful thing that is! Eh? And straight away, all the little things that they might do, eh? all the rubbish you know that they sometimes do despite the good intention despite the, all the good things they do uh, it's kind of irrelevant uh, it's small stuff compared to the big picture uh, which is so beautiful uh, okay they slam the door a bit hard so what uh, you know or they kind of eat noisily or they sometimes maybe some foul words come out of their mouth but i mean it's small compared to the actual goodness of the heart uh, and the beautiful qualities they have uh, so that's how you do it, and as soon as so as soon as you you build up kind of these um, ideas in your mind, the good quality, especially if there's a person in your life that you have difficulties with, and I think most people have like a few, you know, maybe one or more people that they have difficulties with, that is where you need to do the work. So you need to know yourself, you need to know where the problems are, and then you look at the other side of that person. You build up these qualities and. In your mind, so you know, yeah, it's very clear to you that they have these good qualities. Uh, you don't kind of poo-poo the qualities. Yeah, good qualities are not that good. I've got many bad ones. You, you, you actually really understand that this is amazing uh, that people have all these good qualities. Uh, it is not given in the world where, which often tries to drag us down. It's not given that we should have any good qualities at all. Uh, it is marvelous when you see have people having any good qualities. Uh, so you lift that up. Uh, you put that on a pedestal. Uh, you almost worship those good qualities. You think, yay, wow, that's great. And as you build those up, then one day you meet the person that do something that is maybe a little bit irritating or whatever, or, or, or even slightly worse. And you see your mind heading in the wrong direction, and straight away you bring back that memory of the good qualities. yeah. And in a flash, it's gone. All the badness is gone, because you remember the goodness. This is how this works. Yeah, and it's very, very powerful uh, because that little bit of ill will, uh, that little bit of anger you may have had towards that person, uh, it is completely abolished. Remember what I was saying before about the difference between willpower and wisdom power on the Buddhist path? Uh, The difference is that willpower uh, 
doesn't really get rid of the problem because it's still there under the surface. You haven't really changed your perception. You still have, you know, it's just waiting to come back. Next time you see that person, the ill will is going to come back again. But this actually overturns your entire perception. You actually start to see that person in a different way. That is why it's so powerful. So it abolishes that negative feeling, that bad view about that person completely. And now all you see is you see the goodness instead. So these are very, very beautiful things, very powerful things. And so you throw out to get rid of that. And you carry those good qualities with you. You take them with them. It says you tear out what is intact and take it away with you. You take those good qualities of that person into your heart, into your mind, uh, and you carry them with you into your future. And you know that you will be able to use them in the future uh, whenever your mind kind of gets out of control and does things it uh, ideally should not be doing. Uh. So this is uh, how this is so such a simple and yet so obvious when you think about it. Uh. And of course the reason why it works is because our minds are conditioned. Uh, and you can recondition that mind in the right way. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And um, I should tell you, there's, 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 I, I, there's always some new people on this retreats like this. So this, I can always tell the same stories every retreat. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite stories, this is from found in the Vinaya Pitaka, in the, um, uh, the kind of older monastic rules. And um, this is a story about the ragrobe-wearing monk, yeah, and the ragrobe-wearing monk, as I mentioned before, they would look for rags everywhere, they go outside the cloth shops and they would get little offcuts, so they would find things at the side of the road and all these kind of things, yeah. and they would also go to the charnel ground, the charnel ground is where they burn the corpses, yeah, after they're dead, it's kind of the ancient way of getting rid of a dead body. And when a, charnel, when a dead body was thrown onto a charnel ground, they would always have a bit of cloth around them, yeah, to kind of for, for sake of modesty and that sort of stuff. Uh, have a bit of cloth around them. And the, the monks, yeah, I don't know about the nuns, probably nuns too, some of the, really, the nuns that were really ascetic, yeah, they would go to the charnel ground and they would take the cloth from the corpse, yeah. <laughs> but the point is that if you're going to take a, a cloth from a corpse, uh, you can't wait for too long, yeah. If you wait a little bit too long, that cloth is going to be disgusting and you're never going to be able to use it for anything because it will smell and it's impossible to get that smell out of the corpse. So you have to do it fairly soon after the corpse has gone to the charnel ground. So in this one story, there was a, a monk, he went to the charnel ground and the corpse was still very fresh. It was still wasn't quite cold. Yeah? It was still a little bit warm. It was not fresh. So he starts to take the cloth off the corpse. And as he does so, the corpse says, uh, don't take my cloth. <laughs> yeah. And then he doesn't, ah, you just, you're dead, shut up. You know, you, I don't want to hear what you have to, <laughs> what you have to say. You are finished. You don't need this cloth anyway. So he continues pulling off this cloth of the corpse. He takes it and he starts to go. And then as he starts to go, the corpse rises up, yeah, and starts walking up after him. And he, he sees this corpse, so he starts to run, yeah, and he runs back to his cutie. This corpse coming behind him, trying to catch up with him. This is like the original zombie movie, yeah, the first zombie movie. I always say Buddhism has everything. We also have the first zombies happen in Buddhism, which is quite quite cool. And then he kind of comes back to his cutie, he slams the door shut, yeah? and that is when the energy kind of runs out of the corpse, and the corpse collapses on the ground, the yeah, outside of his cutie. Yeah. So he kind of okay. <laughs> 
So that is the, uh, the, the first, I think uh, maybe all zombie movies, that's where they got their inspiration originally. It's a two and a half thousand year old uh, um, of the same idea. So that is kind of, this is when you read the Vinaya Pitika, this is what you get to read, yeah, these kind of stories. Yeah, so. <laughs> this is, must be one of the most entertaining stories, I think, in the Vinaya. I don't think, there are not many like that. That's kind of, uh, so uh, unfortunate. I wish there were more like that. Yeah. But, uh, so, and then, yeah, and then of course, then they go to the Buddha and say, oh, this happened. Yeah, imagine what the Buddha has to deal with. Yeah, this happened, uh, Venerable Sir. What should we do? And the Buddha says, don't take cloth of a corpse until the corpse is cold. Yeah, wait till the corpse is cold. That <laughs> so has relinquished, relinquished that cloth, then you can take the cloth. So that is actually a rule, yeah, for monks. We can't take the cloth too early. You have to wait till the kind of the corpse has kind of cooled down. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of, this is the, the fun of being a, this is what fun we get. This is why I, re, I like to translate the Vinaya Pitika, you see, because it has these kind of stories. Yeah. So that is the uh, uh, that so this is kind of connected to this, yeah. Getting getting cloth out there. Huh? Now, one of the interesting points about this, one of the points that I think is often important to discuss, is uh, well, but is this really being realistic? Yeah? If we always look away from someone's faults uh, and we always look at someone's good sides, uh, aren't we just being blind? Aren't we being deluded about that person? Aren't we kind of tricking ourselves into seeing something which isn't there? Uh, and this is a question that comes up sometimes. Uh, yeah, it's a real question. Uh, and um, it's, it's a, actually a very good question. And this kind of leads us to a, a more kind of philosophical point behind this. Uh, why is it okay to focus on this way? Uh, and the answer is that uh, there isn't any real reality there. Yeah, what is that person? What are the good qualities? What are the bad ones? Uh, we're always changing. We don't know people that well. What we know is part of a person. Uh, one person is liked by w someone else and disliked by a third person. Yeah, there, there is no kind of uh, cl clarity about what people are. Yeah? And because you can never, because there isn't any clarity about what another person is, there isn't any kind of real person behind that, someone you can grasp as a true reality, yeah, the Yata Buddha Nanadasana, seeing things as they actually are, uh, because there is no true reality, uh, it is up to us what we want to see in that person. Uh. And so the, the um, um, criteria, criterion uh, or criteria that we use for deciding what to look at in a person uh, is not to look for truth because there isn't any truth that we can grasp when it comes to people. They're always changing. Instead, the criterion to use uh, is what is going to be effective in our practice. That is the right criterion. Uh, yeah. So we ask ourselves, what is going to work in my practice? Well, if I look for the good qualities, yeah. And then it will be right. And very often that is true anyway, because people do have lots of good qualities. We're not going to go that far wrong by doing that. Uh, but that should really be the real criterion here. And um, in practice, uh, yeah, in practice with people like this, it may not always work to use this method. Uh, so sometimes you may want to use a bit of compassion as well. Sometimes you use compassion to forgive their bad qualities and then you look at their good qualities and you kind of weigh it up a little bit and in that case you are not so one-sided also. Uh, so there's different ways of, of dealing with this. Uh, yeah, But uh, it is important to try to look for people's good qualities uh, because if we always look for the bad qualities, uh, which is kind of one of the tendencies in human minds, uh, then often you can get a bit depressed about the world. Yeah, wow, People are so 
People are so bad, and but actually it is just your habit of looking at the wrong bad things. Uh, there's a lot of goodness in the world, uh, a lot of really good people out there, uh, and it's a matter of looking in the right way. Uh. So, the first person. Then we have the second person. How should you get rid of resentment for a person whose behavior <coughs> by speech is impure, but whose behavior by body is pure? Suppose there was a lotus pond covered with moss and aquatic plant plants. Whatever. Then along comes a person struggling in the oppressive heat, weary, thirsty, and parched. They plunged into the lotus pond, sweep away the moss and the aquatic plants, uh, drink from the cupped hands, and be on their way. In the same way, uh, at that time, you should ignore that person's impure behavior by speech and focus on their pure behavior by body. That is how to get rid of resentment for that person. So this is the same idea, but uh, this is a person who has different qualities yeah, that are pure and different qualities that are impure. So we need to have a bit of flexibility sometimes in the way we deal with people and focus in different ways with different people. And uh, here the main difference here is the simile is different. Yeah? So you come to a lotus pond and has all this uh, moss and aquatic, aqua aquatic plants uh, uh, on it. Uh, and um, uh, so, so the the pond here is the simile of the person, yeah. And the plants that grow on it, uh, they are like the bad qualities, yeah. There. Uh, so the bad qualities, what do you do with them? Uh, well, you sweep them away, yeah. The person comes, uh, and you notice here this person is struggling in the oppressive heat. The heat there is usually the inner heat, uh, yeah, the heat of the defilements. The anger is what makes you hot. Uh, and you are weary, thirsty, and parched because of that uh, heat. Uh, and you're looking for, hopefully, you're looking for a solution. Yeah. So you come to the pond, and the way to find that solution uh, is that you plunge into the pond, uh, you sweep away those negative qualities on the surface, the moss and the aquatic plants, uh, and then you drink from the pure qualities underneath. Uh, yeah, you take them in, quite literally. Uh, and then, of course, once you have taken them in, then you carry them with you afterwards. You drink up uh, the good qualities of other people. Uh, it's a beautiful metaphor for how you kind of uh, take on board those things uh, and uh, then they become almost like part of you so um, again there's just a, a slightly different way of looking at the same thing yeah, as we looked at in the first with the first person huh? so let's come at to the third person huh? how should you get rid of resentment for a person whose behavior by body and speech are impure uh, but who gets an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time. Suppose there was a little water in a cow's hoof print. Then along comes a person struggling in the oppressive heat, weary, thirsty and parched. They might think, this little bit of water is in the cow's hoof print. If I drink it with my cupped hands or a bowl, I will stir it up and disturb it, making it undrinkable. 
Why don't I get down on all fours and drink it up like a cow, then be on my way? So that's what they do. In the same way, at that time, you should ignore that person's impure behavior by body and speech and focus on the fact that they get an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time. That is how you get rid of resentment for that person. So uh, this person is has many bad qualities yeah it's both body and speech is bad but they still have some beautiful qualities of the mind openness and clarity of the uh, heart here i basically your mental purity these words the openness here is the opposite word from the hindrances the nivarana this is vivarana the opposite of the nivarana so the point here is that you sometimes you have an undefiled mind uh, even if you have uh, bad acts by body and speech. Yeah, there's still something there. Uh, so sometimes they get some good meditation, they get some joy coming up, uh, and they have that placidity as well, uh, here called the clarity, pasada, of the heart. And this is often, so often we have, if we look at other people, it means we have to look very carefully. Uh, yeah, We can't just look superficially at other people, and if you look carefully, uh, you will often find that they have qualities, maybe a little bit hidden, a little bit difficult to see here. So you look carefully and then you think, wow, yeah, what a marvelous thing it is that they have these qualities. And someone who gets good meditation, uh, you, th those qualities inside of them are going to be very positive at that particular time. Uh, no ill will for the world, no desires, uh, just a positive outlook of metta and kindness. Uh, and then you think, yay, they have these marvelous qualities there. Uh, and um, you can see here how the extent to which you should go to do this. Uh, you cannot just uh, cup your hands or use a bowl to drink the water because it's only a tiny, tiny bit. So you have to be very, very careful to drink that water. Uh, yeah. So when you look at that person, you have to look very narrowly on those qualities. Uh, if you look a little bit far to one side or the other one, you will see the other bad qualities, uh, or see the bad qualities. Uh, but you focus down narrowly on those good qualities. Uh, and then you do the cow practice of getting down on all fours, uh, sucking up those good qualities. Uh, yeah, Narrowly, uh, very narrow perspective that you have on this thing here. And uh, this shows you an interesting thing. It shows you the importance of metta in Buddhism. Yeah. How far? Because this is all about metta practice. Metta, uh, loving kindness or kindness or whatever you want to wish to call it, uh, friendliness. Metta really means friendliness. That's kind of the root of the meaning of that word. It uh, comes from mitra or mitta. And um, it is all about focusing on good qualities. Because if you focus on someone's good qualities, that's when you have metta towards them. You feel friendly towards them. Yeah, That's exactly what it is about. So all of these things that we have seen so far are focusing on metta. And uh, you can see how far he takes it here. Yeah, Even if there's any possibility of having metta for someone, you should use that. You should not use something else. Afterwards, we come to what you should do in the case where you cannot have metta. What you should do then is have compassion. But you should go a long way to try to have metta for other people. Yeah, always trying to see the good in them. Huh? So why is that? Uh, what is the point uh, of this? Uh, and uh, I think the point is that metta is always a very positive quality. Uh, when you see the positive in other people, you can never really go wrong. Yeah, It's always going to have a 
lead to something positive. You're going to feel happy as a consequence uh, if you see the metta in people. Uh. So focusing on metta is very, uh, it gives you that uh, lift in almost all circumstances. Uh, and that is why it is so powerful. Uh. But uh, compassion uh, is more dangerous. Uh. Because when we focus on compassion, we are often focusing on others' negative qualities or we're focusing on someone's suffering, yeah? And then we feel compassion for them. But it's very easy as part of that. When you feel, when you look at suffering and negative qualities, uh, it's very easy to go from compassion to maybe feeling sadness or feeling depressed or whatever. It, it's much more greater tendency to bring up negative qualities uh, when you focus on that uh, perspective that side of, of people. Uh, so compassion is a bit more dangerous. Uh, it takes more practice almost to do that properly uh, and it's easy to go wrong. But metta can never go wrong with metta. It is always going to be a positive thing here. Uh. So you try to you take it really far uh, and you always try to bring up those uh, uh, looking at the good qualities. Uh. But what happens if you cannot see any good qualities? Yeah, If the person is just full of bad qualities, uh, what happens then? Uh? That's what, and that's what come up, comes up next here. And before I talk about that, well, I think one of the important points here uh, to remember is that uh, uh, if a person seems to you just to have bad qualities, uh, it doesn't mean that the person only has bad qualities. Uh, remember, it's just our perception. Uh, yeah, This is a very important point. All of these things are our personal perception of these people. Uh, so it is our view that they only have bad qualities. Okay, so that's fair enough. So that means that we have to use compassion because we can't see those good qualities. Uh, but what it also means is that you are a bit humble about your perception of others. Uh, yeah, You allow your perceptions to change. Uh, you don't think that this person is bad and then you kind of trap them in that perception forever after uh, and say this person is bad forever because I've seen, seen they are bad. And sometimes people do that. They're not willing to let go of their perceptions. Uh, they hold on to that as if they are permanent, as if there is one way of looking at things which is always is right. Uh, and this is what lack of forgiveness is about. Uh, yeah? Lack of forgiveness is holding on to past uh, slides or past bad behavior and never being able to let it go. Uh, and then carrying it with us uh, as if that perception of that person is permanently true and there's no alternative way of looking at them. Uh, so we should always give people that option of changing. Uh, we should never lock them into a particular way of being. This is the way you are. Uh, we should be open uh, and allow them and to see new qualities as they maybe develop as people, which they will inevitably do. We all develop one way or another. Uh, and that is an act of kindness to others, uh, to give them that benefit of the doubt, uh, give them that openness of mind when we're willing to see other aspects in them. Uh, because if you lock someone in, uh, then it means that you have kind of consigned them once and for all to that particular perception. And then they, uh, they will feel almost a bit trapped yeah, in your presence uh, because they know that you're not going to change your mind. Uh. So it's an act of care and kindness uh, to allow people to develop, not to hold on to our perceptions. And um, also remember one of the important points here too is that uh, when you look at other people and you always look at their good qualities, uh, Actually, you are encouraging those good qualities in the other people. Huh? I have noticed that very cl very clearly in my own life. If someone looks, you know, for my good qualities, uh, and sometimes they may have a hard time, especially in the old days, and maybe I don't know, 
but if they find those good qualities and I feel encouraged, uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like I want to live up to that in a sense. Yeah, someone is kind of seeing the good things in you, uh, and you are encouraged to live up to those uh, perceptions in other people. Uh. But if someone is always fault finding with you, it's almost like you kind of give up with that person. You couldn't care less. Yeah, so you kind of you you tend to act almost accordingly because of that. Uh. So there is an encouragement there, yeah? Well, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but there's some kind of psychological mechanism. If other people look for your good qualities, uh, if you look for good qualities in others, uh, those good qualities tend to grow. Uh. If you look for the bad qualities, the bad qualities often grow. So that's another kind of act of kindness, yeah? An act of uh, generosity towards others, just treating them in the right way. Uh. But um, so how does this work if someone has no good qualities? And and here, here is so this is what it says, yeah. How should you get rid of resentment for a person whose behavior by body and speech is impure and who does not get any openness or clarity of the heart from time to time? Suppose a person was traveling along a road and they were sick, suffering, and gravely ill. It was a long way to a village, whether ahead or behind, and they didn't have any suitable food or medicine or competent competent carer and some or someone to bring them to the neighborhood of a village. Then another person traveling along that road would see them and think of them with nothing but compassion, kindness, and sympathy. Oh, may this person get suitable food or medicine or a competent carer or someone to bring them to the neighborhood of a village. Why is that? So that they don't come to ruin right here. In the same way, at that time, you should ignore that person's impure behavior by way of body by way of speech and body, and the fact that they don't get an openness and clarity of heart from time to time, and think of them with nothing but compassion, sympathy, and kindness. Oh, may this person give up the bad conduct by body, speech, and mind, and develop good conduct by body, speech, and mind. Why is that? That when their body breaks up after death, they're not reborn in a place of loss, a bad destination, the underworld in hell. That is how to get rid of resentment for that person. So here is someone, yeah, they don't have any good actions by speech and nothing by body and they don't even have any good mental states. Yeah, you can imagine everything is pretty dark with this person. And then how should you think of that person? You should think of them as someone who is sick, someone who is ill. And uh, not only are they ill and sick, but there is no one there to help them. Yeah, they're traveling along the road and there is no village either behind or in front. There's no one, no food, no medicine. There's no one to care for them. In other words, uh, what happens if you are sick and there's nothing to support you in this way? Well, you are in serious trouble. Uh, and eventually you will probably end up dying if there is nothing, no one there to help you in this way. Yeah, and in the same way, someone who has all these bad qualities, they are sick. Yeah, they are in trouble. 
And uh, that means that their suffering is always increasing. Yeah? It means that they're heading for all these problems in this life. Uh, and not only in this life, but in the future life, it's going to be far worse. Uh, because in the future life, you can get reborn in all kinds of nasty, unpleasant places. Uh, and uh, so they are in serious trouble. Uh, yeah, with it building up a large amount of suffering for themselves. Uh, so when you see people who are really bad, uh, that is the right way to think about them. They are sick, they are ill, they are deluded, they are walking in darkness. Uh, they don't understand what they're doing. Uh, they're creating an enormous amount of suffering for themselves uh, and also a little bit for the people around them, but much more for themselves. Uh, and uh, uh, they have no idea that they're doing that. Uh, they think that they're creating happiness for themselves. Uh, we all do that. We all think that we're doing the right thing uh, and doing the right thing sort of implies uh, that we're creating happiness for ourselves and others, uh, but we're not. Uh, instead, we're creating all of this suffering in the world. Uh, so the right place, the right thing then, is to have compassion. Uh, and uh, it is a very nice thing to do, because uh, one of the problems with um, getting upset with other people for their bad behavior uh, is that it is very kind of confining. Uh, it is very much about me, uh, yeah, my little world. Uh, yeah, they, other people are bad towards me. Uh, and when you think like that, you kind of close yourself in to your own little world and the big bad world outside looks terrible, yeah? And it's kind of a, it's a way of um, being shut off in a sense. Uh, it's a narrowness of the heart, narrowness of the mind, uh, which actually is very unpleasant. Uh, so by a simple trick of perception, uh, instead of thinking of me and this person being nasty and being unpleasant to me, uh, it's like you turn the table. Uh, you look at things the other way around. Actually, it's not really about me at all. Uh, it's about the other person. They are the one who have the real problem. Uh, they are the one who suffer. Uh, I will have to suffer a little bit in their presence, but it's only a tiny bit. Uh, yeah? And most of that suffering comes from my own anger anyway. If I don't get angry, it's not going to be a big issue. Uh, so you turn it around. Uh, and then as you turn it around, uh, 180 degrees, you start to focus on the other person. Uh, and you have compassion for them instead. Uh, you regard them as a sick person. Uh, and suddenly your mind expands out. Uh, instead of being narrow and confined because of your own uh, uh, concern about yourself. And it is natural that we are concerned about, uh, about ourselves. Uh, but uh, it's better not to be here. Uh, Instead of having that narrow, confined feeling, uh, you open up and you kind of expand out uh, and you start embracing the whole world around you. Uh, and that is what compassion is. Uh. And the moment uh, you do that, uh, you, uh, you know, there is no one really in the world that you hate anymore uh, or you have anger against. Uh, and you kind of uh, you, you go out to the world in this way. Uh, and it's so much more liberating. Yeah? It liberates you from the selfishness and self-concern that almost everyone has to some extent. Uh, and it kind of opens up your mind to the world and you have more metta and compassion for everyone around you. Uh, it's marvelous when that happens. Yeah, It's really so liberating and so freeing. Yeah? And the main beneficiary is yourself, uh, but also the people around you. Well, of course, they will benefit from that. Uh. So that is the uh, idea of compassion, yeah, when you cannot see any uh, good qualities in another person. But again, those good qualities may well be there, uh, yeah, just that you can't see them, uh, so don't close off the opportunity altogether. Uh, they may arise again in the future. Uh. So, um, that is that kind of person. Uh, um, and I should perhaps also add that uh, 
here you have the ideas of traveling along the road yeah and there is no uh, carer and of course the carer in the from a spiritual point of view is the buddha the buddha is the carer yeah the medicine is the dhamma and uh, bringing them to the neighborhood of a village what what is that maybe that's a monastery because they're usually outside the village yeah you bring them to the monastery uh, and you deposit them there uh, and then the buddha talks to them or something like that i, I don't know just uh, making these things up randomly uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> so uh, all of these things they have a certain they have often have uh, a lot of meaning in them these kind of uh, similes uh, Okay, so that is the uh, uh, person with bad qualities. You can start to see now how it is possible never to get angry. Yeah? If you build up these kind of perceptions uh, and you have to work on them. Uh, remember the Buddhist path is always a path of gradual development uh, and it's not enough just to read this kind of uh, simile and think that you've got it. It may be absolutely obvious now yeah but fully clear what is going on uh, and there's no doubt about what you have to do and yet you still have to come back to it uh, you still have to develop these things and only when you develop them do they become really powerful uh, and this is also part of the idea of reflection yeah why reflection matters so much how we think about the world uh, how we relate to other people you need to build up these ideas inside of you and as you do that uh, they become powers in your meditation uh, like we talked about before the power of reflection the patisankana bala okay let's come to the last person here how should you get rid of resentment uh, for a person whose behavior by body and speech is pure and who gets an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time Suppose there was a lotus pond with clear, sweet, cool water, clean with smooth banks, delightful and shaded by many trees. Then along comes a person struggling in the oppressive heat, weary, thirsty and parched. They'd plunge into the lotus pond to bathe and drink, and after emerging they would sit or lie down right there in the shade of the trees. In the same way, at that time, you should focus on that person's pure behavior by body and speech and on the fact that they get an openness and clarity of heart from time to time. That is how to get rid of resentment for that person. Relying on a person who is impressive all around, the mind becomes confident. So here is the saintly kind of person, yeah, good in all particular ways. Uh, getting good and deep meditation with no defilements and everything is just marvelous. Uh, and still, this scallywag comes along, yeah, is struggling in the oppressive heat, angry with the Buddha, angry with the great arahants of the world, fuming away uh, as he walks around. Uh, but then, because he's fuming with someone who is so pure, uh, actually, it is quite easy to cool down again because there are so many good qualities to focus on. Uh, so you come to this lotus pond with clear, sweet, cool water. Yeah, the water is all pure. It's delightful. You look at this person. You cannot but help but to see all the good qualities in there. And because you see all those good good qualities, you dive into those good qualities. And you, 
uh, enjoy them, you drink them up, and then you cool down, you get rid of that silly anger that you, you know, sometimes have for people who even are the purest people in the world. Uh, and then you, you understand what is going on. And as you understand what is going on, not only do you get rid of your anger, uh, but you lie down right there in the shade of that tree. Uh, you become a disciple of that person. Uh, initially, you're angry with the Buddha, then you become a disciple, and then eventually you practice the path, and you then uh, achieve the same results yourself. Uh, and this is the beauty of uh, these uh, marvelous people in the world, the Arahants and the Buddhas in the world. Uh, and it is very important that we have these examples in the world, yeah, because these are what brings the teachings of Buddhism alive. Uh, when you see someone with special qualities, uh, you think, wow, that's amazing. How can anyone live like that? How can they be consistently kind? How can they never get angry with anything? Uh, how can they, to all uh, appearances, not have any real desires, not really crave for anything, yeah, but always be cool, uh, always be kind, always be peaceful? Uh, and you see these uh, amazing qualities uh, in, the, in some people. Uh, so they are very, very important to have these people around uh, because they bring the teaching alive. Uh. There are maybe a few people in the world and all they need to do is read the suttas and they kind of get it straight away. Uh. But most people, they need some example to show that these things actually work. Uh, and then it kind of brings it alive in an entirely different way. Uh. And then you become the disciple of uh, uh, those teachers because you realize that I too would like some of those qualities. Uh, those qualities seem great. Why shouldn't I too develop the same qualities? Uh, and that is how this happens. Uh, and there are some beautiful examples of this in the suttas. There is a sutta called Akosaka Bharadvaja Sutta. Akosaka means the abusive. Bharadvaja is a a name of a particular Brahmin in ancient India. So this is the abusive Brahmin, Bharadvaja, Bharadvaja. Bharadvaja means twice born. Bhara is like a burden, twice born burden. I'm not sure exactly what that is supposed to mean. Bharadvaja. Anyway, so... Um, um, yeah, and this Akosaka Paradvaja, the, the twice-born burden <laughs> with ill will, and he comes to the Buddha and he starts uh, shouting at the Buddha yeah, and tell him, telling him off because some of his, uh, his uh, family members have been, uh, uh, you know, have gone forth as Buddhist monastics and he doesn't like that. It's like stealing, taking the Brahmins away from the Brahmins and making them become ascetics and Buddhists or whatever. So he shouts to the Buddha, and the Buddha, just, of course, the Buddha doesn't really react. Yeah? And after he's kind of finished with his rant, and the Buddha says to him, he says to him, well, you know, I don't accept any of your abuse. Yeah? And uh, then he says, well, it's like uh, someone, it's a beautiful little sutta found in the Anguttara Nikaya, in the Sangyutta Nikaya, the uh, Brahmana Sangyutta, the Sangyutta on Brahmins. I don't accept any of your, of your abuse. Imagine or suppose that you had uh, people uh, at, for dinner, yeah, for lunch, uh, and they came to eat at your house, uh, and then you serve them all the food, uh, and then after, uh, afterwards they leave. Now the leftover food, who does it belong to? Uh, well, it belongs to me, says the Brahmin. I get to keep that leftover food. Uh, in the same way, all that abuse that you kind of gave to me, it belongs to you. I don't accept any of it. I just leave it all behind. Uh, yeah, and of course the idea here is that uh, 
uh, you know, leaving it behind means that he will have to bear the consequences of, of all that abuse that he's doing. He gets to keep that. For the Buddha, it doesn't make any difference. The Buddha probably just looks at him and has a sense of compassion and sympathy for someone who's being so silly. And uh, often this is very powerful. Yeah, When you abuse somebody, you're angry with somebody, and they don't react. They kind of just are really cool, and they have even compassion for you. And you feel almost, you feel a bit silly after a while. And this, this is what we say when people become a mirror to you. Yeah? Because you start to become a bit self-conscious after a while. I'm shouting at this person, but I don't react like normal people. What's going on? And you start to feel your own anger in a different way. And then you start to reflect, and it actually makes you more aware. Whereas if the other person shouts back, well, then often you feel justified in your anger, and so you carry on. But it's very hard to feel justified when somebody is completely cool and says, listen, you, you, maybe, maybe you have the problem here. <laughs> And then it's, uh, so these are very powerful things uh, that uh, uh, you can do sometimes just by having a lot of kindness. Uh, sometimes it has a very powerful effect on the people around you uh, and they start to understand themselves better as a consequence. Uh, and that is exactly what happened with the Akosaka Bharadvaja. Yeah? He started to realize, wow, what's, what is happening here? And then eventually he, uh, I can't remember exactly the details, but I think either he became a, a lay follower or he became a monastic and he may even have ended up becoming an arahant. I'll, I'll check it up later. I'm not going to look it up now, but I'll look it up afterwards and I'll, I'll tell you the end of that story afterwards. That's often how it happens. So uh, that is how you uh, then we rely on these arahants in the world, yeah, these people with special qualities uh, and we become disciple of these arahants. It says in the suttas that even the sight of an arahant is a marvelous thing in the world. Just being able to see that kind of person uh, is a great benefit. Uh, because if you are ready, uh, if you have enough good qualities inside of yourself to appreciate the sight of an arahant, arahant, a fully awakened person, yeah, with no more defilements, uh, you will see something that is very rare to see in this world. Uh, and because when you see that, you will notice that there is an alternative way of living here. Yeah. There is another outlook is possible. A development of the mind in a different direction can be done to actually become something completely different. Yeah, so it is extraordinarily important and useful to see that. It opens up another possibility. It opens up not just the ordinary useless way of living which doesn't lead you anywhere, just round and round carrying on. But it opens up the possibility of thinking about the world, thinking about life, uh, thinking about the possibilities, uh, spiritual or whatever, uh, in an entirely new way. Uh. So it matters, yeah, these things are important. Uh, and uh, th then we kind of, so uh, if you find someone in your life who you really take as a teacher because of their pure qualities, then uh, uh, hang on to that a little bit. Uh, not too much, but a little bit, uh, because that will be a great support in your practice. Uh, Mainly the suttas, but also some of those living examples of good people around the world. Yeah, and that's what, why it says that uh, relying on a person who is impressive all around, the mind becomes confident. Uh, that is how we build up the sense of peace and confidence inside. Uh, pasada is the Pali word. Yeah, so pasada is this feeling of, uh, yes, I found something useful. Confidence and faith is built up. Uh, uh, impressive all around, uh, I think here is uh, Samantha Pasadika, actually. Uh, 
which is the word of the Pali commentary of the Vinaya Pitaka. I don't know if you're, sure if you're interested in that, but there you are now. You know anyway whether you're interested or not. It's the only place it occurs in the Pali canon. So a mendicant should use these five methods to completely get rid of resentment when it has arisen towards anyone. So uh, there you are. Very, I don't know. I this is some of the most useful things I think in the suttas uh, in terms of being very practical uh, and uh, dealing with things that most people have issues with. Uh, and uh, the uh, uh, part of the importance of these particular uh, reflections is that really they come back a lot to the idea of non-self. Uh, yeah. There is no one in there who is bad. There is no one who chooses to be bad. There is this cause and conditions coming together. And then people do bad things. Yeah, If you're going to have, be compassionate towards someone who has bad qualities, who you look upon as a sick person, one of the best ways to do that is to remember that they are not really in charge of what they're doing. They are in the grip of the conditions and things that influence them over a long period of time, often coming from past lives. And if you take the idea of someone doing it, someone being there out of the equation, and you remember that a person is just like a natural phenomenon, yeah? like I said yesterday, it's like the wind in the trees, the person, then how can you get angry with them? Yeah? They don't really know what they're doing. They're blind. They are deluded. They think they're doing what is kind in the world, what is right, but actually uh, they're doing that which leads to suffering and problems. Uh, and then uh, uh, take that away. Then it is so powerful. Uh, one of the main reasons why we get so upset with others uh, is that it feels personal. They are doing against me. Yeah, me, me, me. And it's them against me. They have a person, they want to be bad, and I am a person. Uh, I am experiencing that badness from them. Uh, but take away that uh, sense of person, that sense of solidity. Yeah, Take away one person against another and just see this as natural phenomena occurring uh, and all of these natural phenomena leading to suffering. Uh, there's no one really there trying to do harm against another. It is just that that person is reacting in a certain way, given certain conditions. Uh, and you happen to be one of those conditions. You are there at the wrong time, at the wrong place, uh, when that person is around, and then these things come out. Uh, got nothing to do with you. Got nothing to do with them really either. But if it, there is one right way of thinking about it, it is that it's really all got to do with them and nothing to do with you. Uh, it is just their conditions coming around. Uh, yeah, and now they're reacting in this way. Uh, and uh, it's nothing to do with you. There's no reason for you to get upset. Uh, it's not about you. It's about the other person. Uh, and they need to sort themselves out and get that mind of their straight. Otherwise, uh, they're going to be in trouble. Uh. So again, this is a very practical way of using the idea of non-self. Yeah? Often the non-self idea seems so theoretical and... Um, intellectual and far away difficult to understand uh, but actually it has very very practical consequences as well if you use it in the right way uh. the fact that no one is in charge of themselves uh, no one knows what they're doing uh. forgiveness is always right uh, and when you forgive and you let go uh, then of course all of these problems they die down and disappear uh. anyway enough about that uh, the time is exactly three o'clock uh, and uh, so, 
let us call it uh, the end of this session and we will see you back again at uh, 6.30. Have a nice cup of tea if you like. Uh, let's pay respect to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha.